what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We serve as the co-directors and co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming up in September, but you'll hear about that later. Uh, so, Chris, how you doing? Man? I am doing well. Fresh off uh, Memorial Day break. It so was a Memorial Day break. It's, nice. uh, it's normally a good time to go see some movies on a good long weekend. You did catch up with a couple. I... Did not. I <laughs> caught up with one of the two we're going to talk about. So we're going to kind of do a one and a half reviews of films here in the first part of our episode today. We will be reviewing the latest Disney live action adaptation of a classic cartoon, and that is The Little Mermaid. Uh, we'll be discussing that film. Then we'll be moving on to a review of an action comedy starring uh, an actual comedian, Burt Kreischer. Uh, called The Machine, based off of a uh, very uh, popular bit of his stand-up routine, is now doing turn into a movie where he gets to act alongside Mark Hamill. We will be talking about that. I will be doing more questioning of that because Chris is the one who saw the film. I did not get away for a second time to the theater this weekend, unfortunately. But, Chris, I'm sure you will pull the weight on this review and knock it out of the park because you are a machine nice. when it comes to these film reviews. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm done with the puns for the episode. That was the only one you're going to get out of me. Uh, after that, we have some movie news to share. We do want to talk about a couple of interesting projects that the trailers are circulating for that we want to talk about some new uh, projects coming up this fall, some films, as well as talk about our favorite director, one of our favorite directors. I shouldn't say our favorite because he's not my absolute favorite, but he is in the echelon of top directors that I'm intrigued by. It would be Mr. Quentin Tarantino. We have some news to discuss about him as well. Then, of course, we end up the show with our recommendations. Chris and I both have a recommendation of a film we recently caught up with or had a chance to see, and we're going to talk about it and recommend it for you as something you may want to check out in the coming weeks as well. All right, so Chris, I think we've got a lot to cover, and we can go ahead and get started. So how about let's jump right into our first review of The Little Mermaid. A man was drowning. I had to save him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Ariel, don't! Poor child. I can help you. You can't live in that world unless you become a human yourself. Disney's made a film about a young mermaid making a deal with a sea witch to trade her beautiful voice for human legs so she can discover the world above water and impress a prince. No, this is not the 83-minute version from 1989, which Alan has never seen. Never seen. This is the 135-minute version of 2023. 
uh, that is live action that Alan has, has seen. seen. I have seen this one. So Alan, going into this film, kind of cold. I think you said off mic that you don't really even know any of the songs from the original, but you do remember Under the Sea. You I know did, Under the Sea. You had heard of that song. I have heard Under the Sea. And I know the crab's name is Sebastian. Yeah. Okay. So those are the two facts. That's my <laughs> okay. that's my things I know. Okay. <laughs> about the about the story in the film. So what was your take of this film that just opened over Memorial Day weekend and made some pretty good money? Um, not the maybe biggest splash that some box office people were hoping for, but not a not a bomb by any sense of the means. It seems to have started off doing well. What was your take of the film? So I struggle with these films. I know Disney has made a lot of live action adaptations of animated films. I've only seen one up to this point. I believe that was the jungle book, which I did like. I thought it was okay. The jungle book I felt like was one that I could kind of see the need to create a more quote. I even hate using the word live action because I mean, the jungle book was like 95% computer animated graphics. So that always just kind of burns me. It, it does come across for me a lot more of a, well, let's just find a way instead of coming up with anything original, let's just repurpose some old stuff. And oh, hey, wouldn't people love to see a live action version of said said movie? Um, so I'm not a fan of the concept. And it sounds like it's kind of bore me out a little bit with critical feedback on the ones that have been released so far have not all been really good. They've been a little less than stellar. They've made a lot of money, but I think people are people are going because of the nostalgia that because they like the original story and to see it in a new take. Not necessarily that these are good films on their own, or they do anything to really elevate the original. That's always my question. Now, I did not see the original for this, so I've got nothing to base it on. <laughs> right. Um, I will say this: I uh, I have some issues with the film. I have some some things that. I will detail that did not work for me or I felt like were really missteps or could have been a lot stronger in the film. But overall, I was okay with this. I had a decent time with this film okay. for a couple of key reasons. Um, I do think the lead actress, Hall Berry, is it Hall? Hall? I think it's Halle Bailey. Halle Bailey. Yeah. Again, got me very confused with Halle Berry, and I'm right. sure that's something that happens. You are a lot probably too. not the only person. Halle Bailey, yeah, um, she's great. She is really, really good as Ariel. I, she's captivating. She has such a great presence on screen. Plus, she's got the the, the chops, the singing chops. I mean, she's, sure. her voice is beautiful. So I was on board with her. Actually, I'll go ahead and say I think all the acting in this film is good. I think okay. all the acting, with one exception. I'm curious to which one that is. Mm-hmm. I have my uh, exception. One exception is a voice actor uh, oh. for uh, one of the things did not work for me, but I thought everything else oh. worked really well. Okay. Uh, Melissa McCarthy as Ursula, uh, Javier Bardem as King Triton, Jonah Howard King as Eric, all of those, those kind of your main four. I thought were all really good. I liked all of them. I was intrigued by their performances and, uh, I don't know how they compare to the original animated version, but I like what I saw on the screen for myself. You know, this is a film that it's, gosh, I don't know what, 60, 70% computer animated backgrounds and scenes. I mean, there is a segment on land. Sure. But I dare say even the, this is a little bit of a misgiving of the film. I, w- I do want to hear your takes here in a minute. But sure. one big misgiving I've got of the film is I actually thought the stuff underwater looked 
better than the stuff out of water. I thought the stuff on land hmm. all looked like, I'm sure they shot it. I got the feeling they shot it with one of the, the big volume type uh, pieces because it all just looks so basically like a green screen studio. Yeah, everything out of the water looked super fake to me and did not hold. I did not feel we were in a real place anywhere in that environment, which hurt a little bit of those on land scenes for me. Hmm. Um, I was actually relatively impressed with the underwater animation. I thought it was better than I expected it was to be going to be. Okay. Did not feel like it was too busy, too distracting, too over the top. It, it was good. It worked. So uh, overall, I thought the film was good. I mean, I'm curious how different it is from the animated version or if there are things the animated version did better or, or worse. But I'll, I'll defer to you on some of that. Chris, I want to hear your take on The Little Mermaid. How did that work for you? knowing the original animated version like you do. Right. It's, it, it's tough because since I'd seen the original, you know, if somebody were just to ask me, like say somebody had a seven or eight year old kid and they're like, Hey, I want to show the little mermaid to my kid. Which version should I see? I see they have two here two Disney spit out two. I was like, well, you probably want to go with the animated version because I think I like that film better. Now, is that just nostalgia? Well, probably some of it. Cause that came out in 1989. I was a lot younger then, you know, I'm, a lot older now, so live action make of a tale I already know, eh, not that interested. But like you've already said, for the reasons you've said, I felt like the acting was good. I felt like the underwater CGI was miles away better than what it was in like Wakanda Forever, another oh, Disney yeah, yeah. Marvel thing. But mm-hmm. it's like, I'm assuming they're using a similar toolbox, but whatever they did differently with this one just worked a lot better. I, I liked it. I thought it was a yeah, lot better. I was pleasantly surprised with the underwater scenes because honestly, the trailers... I saw for this did not make it look that appealing, but yet once you got there, yes, it, it worked. I think everything was good under oh, the, the sea. Right. Under the sea. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think where it did frustrate me though, cause I was trying to take the film on its own terms. And even though I have a lot of fondness for the original, I was trying to be, okay, they're just telling this story. And yes, I know they're going to sing some of the same songs, but let me just see how they are advancing the story or what they're trying, like you said, what they're trying to do differently. Why are they bothering other than just to get some money, which their other attempts have gotten plenty of money. So that's probably the number one reason they're doing it. I got frustrated a lot in the film and it took me out of the film that I felt like so many scenes were like basically recreations of what had been animated. Like even the way characters were moving or the Mm. turns to the camera or like the way the shots were framed it was basically like taking an animation mm. frame and instead of animating over like people, they were peopling over animation. <laughs> like just, See, and I'm that, glad I didn't know that. Cause that would have bothered me. And maybe it's just because I've seen the original so many times. I mean, full disclosure, I actually worked at a Disney store for a couple of years, yeah. <laughs> um, a long time ago. It was part so, of your job requirements. Yes. I mean, it's have on, you seen it's Little Mermaid at least six times? <laughs> right. right. It's yeah. on loop in the store. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I was just overly familiar with it. So I want them to somehow, just like when we see a film that is based on a play, maybe we really liked the play, but we want to see how they use the film medium, how they use the cinematography, how they use different things, the way you're able to open up a play. I wanted to see them open up this animated story. And overall, I felt like they really didn't probably because they're just trying to play it safe. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you increase a film's runtime by over an hour, <laughs> they did add two new songs and well, the didn't new- go over an hour, right? The original was an hour and a half. The original was, uh, like 89 minutes and yeah. this was two hours and 
15 minutes. Yeah, so 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Still, if you're going to add 45 mm-hmm. minutes to, because this is a kid's film. And I feel like an original runtime of 83 minutes or whatever is a lot more. That's, that's a kid's film. When you stretch it to over two hours, especially if you're still targeting children, like, come on, man, there's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a reason they did add two new songs. All right. So Lin-Manuel can, Lin-Manuel can I ask Miranda. you which two they are? Because I'm no, gotta, I can't because I've forgotten them. You forgot that's, which two that's they kinda, were. Yeah. And they were, well, actually they may have done three. And one you could tell Lin Manuel Miranda had a hand in because it had a little bit of rap. Is that and the one where the bird in the, the, bird uh, and the crab, crab do a little yes. thing in the bedroom? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was added, and I think there's kind of a Prince Eric sings a song, and I can't remember the name of it. And then Ariel then kind of then sings her version of the song, and I think at one point they actually kind of say what the name of the like she makes like a callback i can't remember but there again i think i think those things were added now even though i love them and well miranda like i'm usually a fool for anything he does um yeah that song i think because it was kind of forced mm-hmm. um it didn't really work for me but when you're up against classics that were in the original little mermaid I don't really expect you to be able to come up with a completely new song that's going to somehow match the style and still be really good. So I don't, I don't think that's a shortcoming just because I don't really expect it. That's a mighty tough task, but I feel like if you're going to add, you said 45 minutes to the film, then, okay, you give some, and the, the new songs, that was one thing that was nice is because they were new songs. They didn't have something in the film that they were copying. So they did kind of break out in a way. Yeah. Um, so that, that was like refreshing for me to see them at least take a little bit of time to try to stretch outside the norm. But overall I felt it was just kind of a, a waste. And I feel like I wish they would have trusted the cast and the source material because it's a pretty, you know, interesting story to create its own visual storytelling instead of just copying seemingly copying over so many frames from the Hmm. animated film. You were saying, I I thought David Diggs, who did Sebastian, I thought his voice work was great. Um, I th- wish they would have, and they, there's no way they'd do this because they would alienate Disney like fanatics. I wish they would have completely eliminated Flounder um, because Jacob mm-hmm. Tremblay, even though like his other stuff, like he was in the room and stuff like that, but he didn't really have a lot to do. And because... I felt the fish was ugly, which I think they were trying to make it more like an actual flounder, which fine. Um, but like, I think if you would have given Sebastian both of those roles, he would have been a more fleshed out character and he would have been, I, I don't know. I think you would have made better yeah. use of David Diggs. who's really talented. And I actually, Javier Bardem, not that he did a bad job, but I felt like he was so, I mean, grand, he's playing like the overbearing dad but he was so stiff because it was like, I have to say these lines the exact way they're mm-hmm. done in the movie. I have to be aerial, just mm-hmm. like they do. In, like nobody could stretch beyond the boundaries of what had yeah. already been like drawn said, on I, screen. I in could sense that. I could sense that. Even so, not having seen the original, I felt everybody was structured. Trapped. Yeah. Just and yeah. very tight. And you know, the idea of it being a little looser adaptation or doing anything creatively with the story itself, it just, you could tell was not there. It was a, very much a yes. We have to hit these marks. We have to say these lines. As this has to happen in this order. Right. It's a shame. I was picking up on that, having never seen the originals. I didn't know what to expect, but I still okay. felt like it was a very structured. 
inflexible uh, adaptation. So I will say, you know, if I'm paying compliments, which we always like to try to give compliments, we said that the cast was good and the CGI effects were good. Even though they were retreading the songs in the original, what'd you expect? Um, I liked how they did change a little bit of under the sea and kiss the girl in that. And you may have thought, but you probably forgave it. You probably forgave them being goofy because you're like, well, it's based off an animated movie. I expect them to be a little funny, a little goofy, but under the sea specifically, they kind of made it more realistic with like Mm. the fish. I mean, yes, the fish were dancing and doing stuff, but somehow in the animated cartoon, it comes off as more jokey and stuff. And this was more like just, fantastical or yeah. something and it, was it, a nice and it worked and they mm-hmm. kind of really toned it down. So I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And with kiss the girl, likewise that one, I mean, yeah, they still have the seagull singing and stuff, but somehow that one seemed a little bit more real world in a way. Right. And I, that kind of worked. I look, I'll, I'll say I liked both of those sequences. I thought okay. they worked really well. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it helps. The songs are good. But then to put this kind of, you know, the visuals that accompanied it, I thought were, were, were nice and were really strong. Um, yeah. The one actor, I just, I had a tough time. Okay. The voice acting is Aquafina. Okay. I, I just, where I feel like at least David Diggs and even Jason, Jacob Tremblay, I agree. I don't think you needed three animated, uh, uh, animal sidekicks to make this movie work in the story. It, it was a little watered down for everybody. <laughs> That's yeah. another one, Alan. Yeah, nice. I got it. Uh, David Diggs, I felt like was at least performing and acting. Aquafina is just, let me just do my Aquafina voice and I have to be annoying and grating and all that. And she was, it was annoying and grating. <laughs> And uh, right. I'm sorry, Aquafina. I know you're capable of doing. Well, that's more. what the, the character, of the seagull, right? Was I know, to kind but of be blow it was just a little so. too on the nose. Like, yeah, and and the song that was the new song, the the Miranda song that was basically her just getting to like yell and rap and all was just well, okay. too much. Yeah, uh, it somehow didn't much. work. I felt like it was kind of shoehorned in and actually rushed as well. I feel like if it could have been a little bit more relaxed, but I know Aquafina prior to being an actress, she's a comedian, but she also does rap. Yeah. And, um, David Diggs, like he, you know, of course did Hamilton and stuff. So, and he has his own rap stuff. So giving them an opportunity, but yeah, just, I felt like they had to hurry up and kind of do it. And if they would have been able to kind of relax it a little more yet, we know they can both do speed rapping, but if they, maybe didn't do that here. I think it would have worked a little better. Yeah, I just, I think those, those new musical performances just, they didn't really stand out to me. The two you mentioned that were from the original film, definitely those are more standout moments. Sure. But, um, yeah, it was a little, it was a little mixed back for me. Again, I enjoyed the film. Um, I thought I did like everything with Melissa McCarthy (laughs) as Ursula. I thought, I thought that was really great casting, and I think it was like she nailed it. It was great. I, I liked her her evil performance quite a bit, um, and I thought the look of the film was nice. I thought the animation was better than I expected it to. I, I never like giving kudos to a film that's predominantly all set in an animated world, and but this one pulled it off. And I mean, you know, how else are you going to do the underwater scenes? I mean, you kind of have to rely on that. Right. Um, it's just yeah. I just I wish the I wish the non-animated uh, underwater world had more weight to it, and just I felt like we were actually somewhere, sure. as opposed to we're just on a big soundstage and just with a uh, matted background all around us on all, all directions. That's the way it felt, and it just took a lot. I think honestly, when Ariel ends up on land, 
that period of time, it just, the film kind of drags a little bit for mm. me because I felt like the energy was gone. The look of the film is not impressive. I just felt like it was a very just fake looking environment around there, which is, which is a shame because it's like you would think it should be the other way around. But I actually wanted them to get back underwater because I thought <laughs> that was actually visually much more interesting uh, things to look at and see. So, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I, I did like it. But again, I think if this film would have really been a, uh, been, a, been a wreck without Halle Bailey in the lead role. Agreed. I mean, I think that was a critical piece of casting. It had to be a strong. And, and Jonah Howard King as well. I think the two of them worked together really well. Yeah. I felt honest chemistry between them on there. And that's something, yeah, I think I want to, I do want to kind of talk about him a little bit because going into the film, all the buzz had been about Halle Bailey playing the little mermaid and how it was like, Oh, you know, it's going to be an African American playing the part of, you know, this white mermaid where, you know, who cares, whatever, but they were all talking about, and she was basically kind of an unknown too. So it was like, you know, is she going to be able to do Ariel and the answers? Well, yeah, she did great. And talking about Melissa McCarthy being the big, you know, big villain, which in any film, especially animated film, a big villain is always important. If the villain's kind of minor or whatever, then the film's not overall as good, but yeah, she did a great job. But, Jonah King, Jonah Howard King, completely unfamiliar with him. And coming in, yeah, he does have to be this love interest, maybe be a little goofy, but still, you know, you have to want Ariel to get together with him. And I was like, huh, wonder if that's going to play. And I agree with you. I thought their chemistry was good. And I thought he was, he was strong. And I was, I was pleased that someone that was as unknown and I hadn't really heard much about him at all was able to, was able to carry the role. So agreed. Agreed. I mean, overall, I, I thought it was a, a good movie as far as Disney live action adaptations go. Sure. Again, I'm not a favor. Of the, I'm not a fan of the format. I'm not a fan of kind of the, the, the desire to do these films. But this one turned out OK. And it actually I think I, I think I enjoyed it more simply because I was not familiar with the original. I have nothing to base it on. Sure. Took it on its own merit. And I thought it was an enjoyable, good family film. So. And having having seen not only the original, but also having seen most of the remakes, I think maybe the Dumbo that was done by Tim Burton is the one that I haven't. I would say that though those aren't, you know, that subgenre is not my favorite Disney live action remakes. I will say that this is one of the better of those. Mm, okay. So good. Well, that is The Little Mermaid. It is playing kind of everywhere right now as you're yeah. you're hearing this. And uh directed we didn't even mention the director, uh Rob Marshall. Uh He's done, he's kind of been the Disney camp the last several films he's done. He did uh, the Mary Poppins Returns. He did the last uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I don't think oh, many people I saw. About that. Yep. He did Chicago. He did Chicago was like his first big film that he did. Um, he also did the Memories, uh, Memoirs of a Geisha. Hmm. And he did um, Nine, the Daniel Day-Lewis movie that I'm, unfortunately I've never seen. That's I think the only one of Daniel Day-Lewis' film I've never seen. So uh, he's definitely in the Disney camp, the last three or four movies he's worked on. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about the direction of it. I feel like, you know, animators had a lot more to do with the direction of this film. And unfortunately, the stuff out of water is the stuff I felt like worked, worked the least. Sure. So can't really credit Rob Marsh quite as much for any kind of direction on this film. Uh, I think this, it had to be the story. It had to be the lead actress and it had to be the underwater animation had to make this film work. And luckily all three of them worked fine. So yeah, I think we're, we're on the same page. Okay. That is the little mermaid still in playing in theaters right now by Disney, uh, rated PG 
And we're both saying, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's uh, check it out uh, with some, 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 some quabbles, some misgivings, but otherwise a, a good, enjoyable film. Let's move on to our second review, which will be kind of a shorter half review because it's only one of us have seen the film. That is the film based on the stand-up comedy of Burt Kreischer. It is The Machine. Seven years ago, one incredible story blew up the internet. When I was 22, I got involved with the Russian Mafia. I was a frat boy on a class trip. This is Igor. He's here for your protection. He is very dangerous. Ooh. You are not to talk to or hang out with him. All I want to do is hang out with him. I did not speak Russian. Yeah, machine. <laughs> All I knew how to say was, On the machine! Uh, Burt Kreischer is a well-known comedian, kind of the last several years, gained a lot of popularity. And he has a bit, Chris, in his stand-up routine that kind of got him really famous, where he does chronicle his uh, a trip to Russia many years earlier when he was younger, and how he got the nickname during that trip of The Machine and kind of his hijinks in Russia. It's a well-known stand-up bit. It's a fun story. It really put him on the map. So here we are a few years later, and he is now has a movie made called The Machine, and it tells about Bert's drunken past, catching up with him 20 years down the road, when he and his father are kidnapped by those that Bert wronged 20 years ago while on a college semester abroad in Russia. So in other words, this is the idea of, okay, I did these hijinks 20 years ago. Now here we are. All this time later, I have to uh, go back to Russia or get connected with Russia in some way, and I'm getting payback for what happened to me when I was, quote, the machine 20 years ago. Chris, I did not get a chance to see this film, which is a shame because I was extremely curious about this film. It's an action comedy. Uh, It does co-star Mark Hamill, Mr. Luke Skywalker himself. Uh, these kind of, I hate saying vanity projects, but it's a little bit of the kind of impression I get is you're taking a, a, a celebrity, a, a known personality, and you're crafting a movie around some aspect of that and the celebrity gets to play themselves in the movie and kind of, uh, examine, um, that story in more detail. So that's what we have with the machine. I have not seen it, but you have Chris, if you, if you had listened to the standup of Burt Kreischer telling the story of the machine was that enough or did this movie have any purpose and reason to exist beyond his standup routine? So I was aware of the comedian Burt Kreischer. He's been on a guest on the Countryist with John Reed podcast that my day job produces. Um, but I haven't really heard much of his work. Um, I saw the trailer for the film online. I thought it looked interesting. If you are aware if you've seen Burt Kreischer live or you've seen his stand-up specials and he's done the machine. And I guess one or two things, if you really thought that was funny and you're a big fan of Burt Kreischer, then you're probably going to like this film. If you saw that little stand-up bit and thought it was just dumb, then you, you probably won't. Um, something that kind of has me in the bag for this film is I also went to Russia when I was in college. I did not, did I. I did not, uh, get a nickname of the machine and go on to be a famous comedian. I did not either. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of enjoyed kind of thinking about, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the seeing things in Russia and how they were like talking about how things were back when he went to Russia. Like, so that was kind of cool. Um, Mark Hamill playing like a, kind of a jerk father who's kind of an alcoholic that is always fun for me to see Mark Hamill in a different role. Um, other than Luke Skywalker, um, I liked him as Luke Skywalker, but just to see him play something that is so opposite type is fun for me. And actually a lot of his work, I probably haven't seen. I mean, 
I've heard him do the voice of the Joker for the animated Batman mm-hmm. series, but actually seeing him on screen, I think Brigsby Bear was the last time I saw him on screen. So it's kind of few and far between for me. Um, so that was fun. I, it is very, it's definitely a hard R. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Tarantino type violence in the mm. film, which I was not expecting. There's a lot of mob involved, like people getting shot in the head and stuff like that. So definitely not one for the kids. Um, which kind of took me back a little bit because I wasn't expecting it to be as graphic violence as it was. But I will say, you know, you're saying is it strictly a vanity project because it is based on, you know, one of his most popular stand-up machine or routines and he gets to play the lead because he's playing like himself. The version that he does of himself, he definitely does not lean away from his faults of the past and his faults currently as being a father. I'm at mm-hmm. least I'm assuming he's a father because I don't, I don't know what's fact and what's fiction in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I think that's really important. It was entertaining enough. I had a good time. I definitely laughed some. Um, is it, you know, it was, it's kind of exactly what you said. It was an action comedy. Um, I, I felt like maybe it could have been funnier maybe, but I think they were, they were really focused on trying to tell a bit of an arc of a story and I will say, I'm not going to try to give any, anything away, but there's some um, being in therapy bookends that they use mm-hmm. that I think was actually kind of clever, especially how they bring it back around for the second time. So, you know, if you're a fan of Burr Crusher, I would say give it a shot. If you're an adult, obviously you're probably listening to this podcast, you probably are. I don't know if we have a lot of children listeners. Um, but if you're an adult and you want to just see like a funny kind of action movie, but you don't know anything about him, I think you're still fine because he does kind of communicate enough of, they show kind of like his standup routine on YouTube and they kind of, they reference it. So you kind of, you get the setup, even if you don't know what the setup is. Um, but does it really expand beyond that? Maybe not, but it was, I don't, I can't speak for whether that was a, enough for me just because I'd never seen it. Like, you know, I don't right. know, like you may be more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So you may be like, oh, I wish it would have been more. But for me, it was enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I say the machine's pretty good. I'm not sure how – I'm kind of surprised that it hit movie theaters because it does seem like it is a smaller film mm-hmm. um, and it for it to be. But I think it's just kind of the floodgates are now open with all the movies after Maybe the – a little bit of that. So um, I'm not sure yeah. people will still be able to check it out in a the theater. But uh, if you like action comedies and you like Burt Kreischer, then this is definitely one for you. Well, just, I'm curious. How did Burt Kreischer do okay. as a comedic actor on screen? Okay, as far as I know, there again, not really familiar. I think this was his like first film, and so yeah. maybe not the best actor, but he didn't he didn't really have to do a lot. I think they wisely kind of used a lot of flashbacks, which I do want to call out um, Jimmy Tatro, which I think I'd seen him before in bit parts, but I've never seen him as like as major a part as he had in this film, but he played the young Burt Kreischer Mm. when they would flash back and kind of show some things. And I thought he was really good and also uncanny how much he looked like Mm. a young Burt Kreischer that would be in college. And so that was, I thought that was really good. So he would, Burt Kreischer was good enough. It wasn't like he was so stiff or so bad that you thought, but like I could see how maybe if he continues to do films, maybe his second or third you know, could be even better. Actually, and I think maybe not playing himself would kind of free that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe if he was yeah. actually playing a character right. and not playing himself. But, um, 
yes, it was, it was, I think he did a good enough job. Um, but yeah, the guy that really stuck out other than Mark Hamill, cause it's fun to see him play somebody to polar opposite, but, um, the young Burt Kreischer, the Jimmy Tatra, I thought he was, thought he was good. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm a little kind of intrigued. I'll admit, I, 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 I felt like this is a film that was either going to just be a complete surprise and wow everybody, or it's going to just mostly crash and burn and just be, not be a, a waste, a, kind of a waste of time. You're saying there's there's actually some 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 decent time to have with watching the film. Yeah, so I think good. so. Well, that bodes well for Mr. Kreischer. Maybe it's we'll definitely not your happen. average like <laughs> father and son try to reconnect type film because of the crazy circumstances. And I think they they lean into that. Like, yeah, okay. this I'm sure the circumstances around this have been exaggerated. <laughs> At least I would hope so. Yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Okay, well. Then great. Thank you for the review, Chris. And apologize I did not get to go out and see it as well. I regret that. But I will try to make time to see The Machine at some point very, very soon. The Machine, rated R. It is, uh, as Chris said, it was playing in movie theaters as of the time of this recording. But by the time you hear it, may not be there. Right. But I'd also assume it's going to be online within just a couple months. Pretty easy to see. So, all right. Chris is saying it's uh, worth watching. It's It's an okay movie. It's pretty good. Good to hear. All right, Chris, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some movie news to share, a couple interesting projects coming up that we've got trailers to watch for, and uh, talk a little bit of Tarantino news, and then also our recommendations for the episode. So everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Again, here with Chris Fry again. We had our reviews of The Little Mermaid and then Chris's review of The Machine before the break, uh, both, you know, positive, generally positive reviews. I mean, I think we were both uh, pretty okay with The Little Mermaid, me maybe even a little more so than you, <laughs> and uh, you were okay with The Machine. Yeah, yeah. these are very lukewarm reviews, but... Uh, yeah, it was good. It's it all right. Okay, it's good. So, of the two, if you had to see one of them again, which one would you choose to see again? I'd probably see The Machine again, just oh. because, yeah, yeah. I, if I had to choose, probably the machine. Both are okay, but um, the machine had you know, more laughs, more unique stuff going for me rather than a remake. So yeah, I would I would push push towards the machine. Okay, so. all right. Well, there you hear it. Bert Kreischer beat Disney. <laughs> Good job, Bert. Way to go. There you go. All right. So let's talk a little movie news. A couple things going on in the news world when it comes to film and movies. Uh, Chris, I teased at the beginning. Quentin Tarantino. He is a director. We've reviewed several of his films on the show. Obviously, you and I are fans of his work. Um, maybe some pieces, some uh, some work a little more than others. But no matter what, it's always intriguing to see when there's a new Tarantino project being talked about and what's going on. Sure. And something he's always done is when he starts mentioning a project, it's always funny how it's it's a, it's mentioned and it's like one type of topic or thing. Come to find out over time, it evolves and morphs into maybe a little related to what he talked about, but it's typically something very different. Right. Like for example, I know with once upon a time in Hollywood, I think 
it was, you know, kind of played up where it was all going to be like initially about the Manson murders. Right. And, you know, the film, yes, obviously does include that and talk about that, but it's not, it's not the main driving storyline for the bulk of the film. So again, that's how you kind of have to take this Tarantino news. Right. So as we talk about, um, he's saying his next movie is going to be called the movie critic. Um, and Chris, you're right. I'm sorry. I apologize to you beforehand. We were comparing notes and, you're right. Uh, let me back up a little bit for everybody who was just joining us and wasn't privy to that private conversation we had before <laughs> the, the, the recording. You had mentioned, Chris, that you you had heard initially that the film was going to be about the famous movie critic Pauline Kael. Right. And I commented and said, oh, I think it kind of still is and all that. And then we talked. But you're right. No, you're absolutely right. It is not about Pauline Kael <laughs> okay. anymore at all. So. It is about a movie critic, but Chris, I think you have learned that it's about a different type of movie critic than maybe Miss Pauline Kael would be. <laughs> uh, yes. From what I know of Pauline Kael, she was not this type of a uh, movie critic. Yeah. yeah. So basically it's a, uh, uh, we all thought, and I think with some early teasing, we talk about the film was going to be about a movie critic and he is such a big fan of Pauline Kael. We thought, okay, well that's maybe where he's going. Right. But as it turns out, um, the film is actually going to be about, and I'm here, I want to get make sure I get the wording exactly right about this. Um, well, actually, my article doesn't even say what it will be about. It just says it's not about her. You have heard <laughs> it's about a movie critic of pornography films. Well, um, I don't know if, I know it's a movie, supposedly, there again, that's all. We're, you know, I think Tarantino, not only does he make interesting movies, but I think as you kind of mentioned, he's a master of kind of disseminating information and creating buzz around his projects. He'll say, this is the last film I'm going to make. Oh, maybe I'll make one more. And supposedly there again, this is going to be his 10th film and his last film because he wants to go out on top or something like that. Um, but to get back, yes. So the next thing of news that I'd read was no, it's not about Pauline Kale. It's still about a movie critic, but if they're correct in what they're saying that Tarantino has said, he back in his early days used to read kind of like these trade magazines, sometimes rough, rougher <laughs> trade magazines, mm-hmm. like basically like a, like a pornography magazine or something, but it had movie reviews in this magazine. Okay. So it's not reviews of pornographic movies. I don't believe well, so. Maybe I don't believe so. Don't so know. imagine, I don't think it's like hustler or playboy, but Maybe it is. So imagine in Playboy, there's somebody who's reviewing Jaws or something. Does that make sense? Yep. So there again, still, you know, Tarantino, he likes to kind of shuffle things up. In theory, that's what it about. But the way it also said was like, this is not a critic any of us are ever aware of. Okay. So it's not, it is definitely not Pauline Kael. It's not somebody else. Well, there were rumors at one point too about like this being about the more modern day film mm. critics because I had heard there was like casting going out for like people to play current critics. that are like kind of well-known critics, even like online internet critics oh, wow. with personalities. I don't think that's true because obviously if he's going back to more seventies <laughs> and eighties time right. period I, with this, obviously that can't be the case. So right, it'd be right. interesting though. All right, look, I, all this news is, is fun, but I don't really care. I'm going to watch the movie no matter what. I well, mean, it, I'm, I'm anxious to see it and I don't expect it to be anything you know what I'm wondering? Connected to what he's teasing it. Okay, to. let's go further down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole. I don't know if you saw the news, but I saw the news. I think it was last week, if not last week, the week before, that um, Rick Dalton had passed away. Yes. 
and you you're saying who's that? Okay, mm-hmm. he was who Leonardo DiCaprio played in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So what if that Tarantino? I think his website or his some Twitter account had announced it, but it was somehow it was like from him because he was on some podcast and he mentioned that that had happened that Rick Dalton had passed away or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, what if that is nothing more than also feeding into the movie critic where somehow this critic is going to have reviewed the movies of Rick Dalton and I don't because you know they mention all these movies in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that oh, yeah. he's been in. Yep. So I wonder if. Because, kind of yeah, it's, it's like going universe. back to that time period yeah, yeah. again where it's like somehow, yeah, it's like in the Tarantino-verse. I wonder Could be. if that is somehow going to play. That would be kind of funny role. if, like, he's critiquing, the movie critic is critiquing Rick Dalton's latest movie right. or last movie or something. Right. That's funny. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and there's not a date on it. I don't know anything about when it's coming out. It is... Um, but the you know, title supposedly is the movie, the movie critic. critic. That that's the, the one thing I guess we can that's say. The one thing we're hearing. Right. So Tarantino was at Cannes uh, over the last few weeks, giving a lot of interviews. Um, you know, it's his eleventh movie. Would oh, be, okay. I thought or it was his tenth. No, no, you're right. It's tenth. I think they're. I'm reading. A, I'm reading a quote from the AV Club right now. Okay. And they're saying, you know, what are you going to do? Not let you make an eleventh movie? No, his tenth movie is the movie critic. Now he did say when pressed a little bit if he would maybe make he would more, TV. maybe some TV or something else at some point. There's always been these rumors that he's pitched ideas for like a Star Trek movie. Yep, I've heard pitches for a James, James Bond, Bond movie. Yep. Here's my thing: if he decides to tackle either of those after this tenth movie comes out, I think he's okay to do it because he can say, "Well, those aren't really Tarantino movies like my original works. Right. I did ten of those; those are my movies." These are now new projects I'm working on <laughs> that I don't really consider part of my my film oeuvre, you know, whatever. So I could see him kind of getting away with that just by giving it a slightly different definition of what these other films could be he could work on. And I have a hard time believing that he would just sit and do nothing. Yeah. He seems to me like I'll the type something. of person like Jack White where he's constantly creating output or something because otherwise he'd just go nuts. And I have a hard time believing if he came up with a really awesome script that he would just hand it off. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't doesn't seem like he'd do that. Doesn't seem but like him. Who knows? Um, he did uh, do a little <laughs> um, trash talking oh, uh, while nice. at can as well, uh, talking about streaming service movies. Okay. Uh, he called out the he was calling out the basic disposability of your average streaming movie these days. So and we're assuming he if he does TV. He's not going to go to a streamer, or, or that would be okay because I, it's. I don't not think a movie. he's arguing against the 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 format of streaming. streaming. I think it's the quality of what streaming services have been putting out, movie wise. Okay. Yeah. For example, he was giving uh, talking a little trash about Ryan Reynolds, not the act, not him as a person, but the choices he's been involved with production wise. I see. He says, "I'm not picking on anybody, but apparently for Netflix." And I quote, uh, Ryan Reynolds has made $50 million on this movie, $50 million on that movie, and $50 million on the next movie for him. I don't know what any of these movies are. I've never seen them. He's like, I haven't talked to Ryan Reynolds' agent, but his agent's pretty much like, well, it costs $50 million. So good for him for making that much money. But those movies don't exist in the zeitgeist. It's almost like they don't even exist. <laughs> Which... 
Okay, so his I'm point is, with I think Red Notice. Well, I mean, Red Notice was a Ryan Reynolds Netflix. It was film. one before that. There was another one. It was like a science fiction based movie, I think, or something. something. Yeah, the fact that we can't come up with it, right. we definitely didn't review it. Yeah. I remember Red Notice had Gal Gadot and The Rock. The Rock, yeah. yeah. Okay. But again, and it supposedly was the biggest blockbuster movie for Netflix that I don't know anybody who saw it. You know, it's like, he's right. These movies don't come, they don't fall in the zeitgeist. You just don't think about them afterwards. They're disposable. And I agree with him completely. It's my biggest issue with Apple TV movies right now is I feel like so many of them are disposable. It's like, you watch them. Oh, they're fine. And you don't really think about them a lot afterwards. And I, I want that to change for all these streaming services. Is it a matter of time? Is it a matter? Or have they tapped into a formula where they're just like, you know what? This, this works. This gets us revenue. This gets us subscribers. We're going to get cranking out the same kind of movies we've been doing right. and not really worrying about it because it's, it's doing what we want it to do. I wonder if his tone would have been changed if like Power of the Dog had won for Netflix or Mitchell and the Machines would have won for Netflix. Both Oscar nominated, but neither took home the trophy. Whereas, I mean, but they, they have won for All Quiet on the Western Front. So I, I don't know. I wonder. But I mean, I guess, yeah. I don't know. I see his point. I mean, I think Netflix's output of original movies, there are so many that they are spending a lot of money on. It's a shame the quality isn't better. So. Yeah. Well, he even goes on to say, again, this is all quoted in sure. interviews with uh, an AV club, so crediting the AV club for the gotcha. reporting here. But um, he said uh, he, he, he was showing some love during the interview to Sony because he said Sony is the only major studio that's not going in hard on the streaming wars. He calls them, quote, the last game in town that's just absolutely, utterly committed to the theatrical experience. Gotcha. He says he hopes that's where the movie critic is going to get picked up is by Sony. Um, he says for them, it's not about feeding their streaming network. They're committed to theatrical experience. They judge success by asses on seats. <laughs> and they judge success by the movies entering the zeitgeist, not just making a big expensive movie, putting on your streaming network where no one even knows it's there. Um so, uh, okay. Interesting. Pretty clear. Um, <laughs> where he is on that with the streaming side of things. And again, I can't disagree with them. I, with very few exceptions, can I think of movies that premiered on a streaming network that I thought were really, really made an impact and really stood out. The Irishman on Netflix, I'd say, sure. That's, that was one that, yeah, that, but that was all because of the director Scorsese that stood out. That was a big one that people still talk about. I think still people were kind of remember and think about as a film. Yeah. Beyond that. I mean, marriage story didn't win anything, but it was not sure. Yeah. yeah. Marriage story for me. I wonder how, I mean, obviously we've already mentioned, talked about a couple of episodes ago, but causeway, um, that was on Apple TV plus and it got a nomination. Yeah. Good movie. um, But again, and I wonder upcoming, is Scorsese's next film. Oh, you know Scorsese's next one will still be a big one. And it's going to be on Apple TV Plus, and it was at Cannes, and like, you know, so... There's a few exceptions, but I mean... Yeah. It's less than 10% of the movies that come out there are ones that you think about and remember and really make an impact for you. So, anyway. Oh, well, Tarantino is always fun to (laughs) listen to in an interview. Oh, yes. And see what he has to say, so... All right, uh, let's move on and let's talk. There's not a lot of other news to share right now. So I thought, Chris, if it's okay with you, let's let's talk about a couple films that are close to release. Actually, okay. I think the two we're going to talk about are coming up in the next few months. Um, one of them is coming out actually here in a few weeks, 
we'll do that one first. And then the second one is coming out in September. So we are within two to three months of everything okay. or four months at this point. Uh, first up, let's talk about the film. No hard feelings. Uh, this is a film I'm very, very curious about because it is starring, uh, as you just mentioned from Causeway, Miss Jennifer Lawrence, Academy Award winning actress uh, and nominated actress uh, Jennifer Lawrence in a uh, sex comedy. She won for Winner's Bone. I think she did win for Winner's Bone. Okay. I think. Or did she just get nominated? I don't know. I think she's definitely been nominated. But well, I know I she's know. been nominated a lot. I just don't know if she's okay. won. Yeah, I don't know if she's won either, but she's definitely been nominated. She Did she win for Silver Linings Playbook? She did not win for that. I think okay. she might have gotten nominated, nominated for it, but she did not win. She has won one Oscar. Okay. Okay. And that one Oscar, I'm going to assume, is for Winner's Bone. Winner's Bone. I'm pretty okay. sure that's what happened there. It wasn't for The Hunger Games. <laughs> no, it was not for Hunger okay. Games. And uh, it wasn't for Mother. Not for Mother. Right. So I'm looking at Oscars, Academy Awards. She was, oh, wait a minute. I caught out. Chris, I'm just wrong on everything today. Okay, I'm wrong. She was nominated for Winner's Bone. Okay. But she won for Silver Lightning's Playbook. Okay. I was thinking that was probably more likely, yeah. but didn't But know. she got nominated for American Hustle, nominated for Joy, mm-hmm. and nominated and won for Silver Lightning's Playbook. So gotcha. she, she and uh, um, David, David o. Russell. Russell. She's kind of got a good thing going there with, with him. Right. But yeah, you're right. She won for Silver Lane's playbook, uh, not Winner's Bone. Man. She did skip Amsterdam. Maybe wise on her. Yeah, she did. <laughs> um, okay, anyway, back to our story. Yes. So she is now in a comedy called No Hard Feelings. Uh, and it is a, it's a sex comedy. It is a... Seems, seems to like, be kind seem, of raunchy comedy. Yeah, it seems like something that would have been dreamed up by the Fairley brothers back in the days when they were yes. making things like something about Mary and all that kind of thing. It seems like, yeah. The uh, premise of the film is uh, uh, Maddie, who is Jennifer, played by Jennifer Lawrence, thinks she's found the answer to her financial troubles when she discovers an intriguing job listing. A wealthy helicopter parents looking for someone to, quote, date their introverted 19-year-old son, Percy. Bring him out of his shell before he leaves for college. But Awkward Percy proves to be more of a challenge than she expected, and time is running out. She has one summer to make a man out of him or lose it all. So yes, as you can kind of tell from the premise, yes, uh, sex does play a role in this film. <laughs> the, the 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 trailers I've seen, I think, are red band trailers. They have yeah. been uh, a little on the raunchy side themselves. Interesting to see Jennifer Lawrence making a movie like this, but not really, because she's also given off that personality, I think, in interviews and uh, off off screen of being very, uh, very funny. Yeah. Uh, looking to kind of have fun with situations. Uh, maybe this is kind of right for Allie afterwards. We'll be curious to see. Here's the trailer for No Hard Feelings. Come on up. His parents said if I quote date their son, they'd give me a Buick Regal. You won't even rent your house out, but now you're going to rent out your badge. You have a Roadrunner tattoo covering your entire back. I don't think you should tell anybody what to do with their. So body. that was the trailer for No Hard Feelings. I don't know which trailer our producer will be dropping in because the one we played here in the studio while nobody was listening, uh, probably eh, don't want to play that one on the, uh, on the podcast. So <laughs> no. we'll, we'll play a, a good cleaner one, Yes, but you still get the general idea of the tone of the film. I think, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, in a true out straight out comedy It's the first true comedy. I mean, everything else has been comedic it's for been more of a dramedy, right? Yeah. It's David O. Russell films that are slash comedy drama. Right. Um, but this one's straight out, you know, this is uh, right up the super bad um, 
what's some other like you know like you said uh, the like Fairly Brothers, Brothers, but yeah, Superbad's also a good touchdown or yeah. Knocked Up, something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. What's the uh, who's the guy who did those films? Uh, did the Knocked Up? Oh my gosh, I am completely blanking. On As we're name. recording this, people, it, it's <laughs> Tuesday, but we think it's Monday because it's, it's after weird. Memorial, it's Day. Memorial Day. Our brains are a little fogged. Who's the guy who did? Uh, um, Knocked up and forty year old virgin and all of that. Um, I I can see I can see the guy's face. He has a beard. Oh my gosh! Yes, he Judd does. Apatow. Judd Apatow. Wow. A little bit of a Judd Apatow thing going on there too. So anyway, that is no hard feelings. It's coming out June twenty third, so we only have a few more weeks to see how this turns out. I'm I'm honestly curious. I think Jennifer Lawrence has incredible comic timing. I've seen her in enough interviews and uh, doing things on talk shows, and she's very very funny. Hopefully so. the trailer the trailer looks hilarious. Both trailers. If you haven't seen the trailers or didn't listen to the little thing like just now because you would have listened not seen it, don't because I'm afraid it may be the best part. Uh, yeah, it may be spoiling the movie. Yeah, so because it's true. I don't know, it does look really funny, but those may be the funniest moments. So yeah, but I, I'm I'm I always love it when I see we see an actor or director or anybody kind of really change up the, sure. the type of movie they make, and this for her. It's a big change because yeah, the last film she did was Causeway, and that's about as opposite of this as you can get. Yes. So, uh, all right, we'll be curious to see come June twenty third. I also can't wait to see what looks like Matthew Broderick sporting like a yuppie mullet. Looks amazing. Yeah. So he, in case you didn't pick up, Matthew Broderick played the father. Yeah. That uh, hires uh, Miss Lawrence to help his son out right. in his predicament. So <laughs> yeah, should be really interesting. All right, uh, let's jump into another movie. This one I'm I'm excited about because I like the uh, I like the people involved in this film. Uh, this is the film The Creator. It is directed by uh, I'll shoot Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards, you may remember from he did Rogue One. He did uh, the original quote original new Godzilla movie, like the one that's you know started the reboot of Godzilla several years ago, which I really liked. I thought it was really good for a big monster movie. He added a lot to it and made it a much more grounded film and a lot more human. Uh, as much as a grounded film can be. That's about a giant lizard stomping. Exactly. Right. He, he did it. He pulled it off. <laughs> gotcha. um, this is a science fiction film he's doing. It's called the creator. And again, I'm profiling it because this movie, just like no hard feelings, it's an original movie. It's not part of a franchise. It's kind of nice to have some original comedies and original science fiction movies kind of plop in the multiplex here. Right. Hopefully it does well if it's good. But uh, this is the film, The Creator, and it stars someone I know we're kind of a fan of is John David Washington. We really like quite a bit. Denzel Washington's son, who was in uh, both Tenet and was also in Black Klansman. Black Klansman. As two big films he's been in. So this is the newest one. Let's give a listen to this trailer. It is The Creator. What's heaven? It's a peaceful place in the sky. Are you going to heaven? No. Why not? You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. Okay, so that is the trailer for The Creator. It is a film dealing with 
artificial intelligence in the future, an uprising, I guess, that the AI is created and now people are rebelling against it. That's the general gist of the film I get. I don't know. But Chris, your thoughts on watching this and seeing this trailer? Any interest? Are you? I like uh, John David Washington as an actor. Um, I like sci-fi as a genre. However, the trailer gives me very much a Ex Machina meets Elysium, the kind of doomed Matt Damon project that had Jodie mm-hmm. Foster sci-fi. Um, both of those were sci-fi. I, it looks like there's some cool visuals, but it seems to me maybe, I don't know, from what the trailer reveals, a story that's kind of been told before. Um, yeah. And I'll, I like Aerosmith. I have actually seen them in concert, <laughs> but much like they're considering retiring, I think they're going on a tour that they're going to retire. I feel like Dream On as a song and movie trailer should be retired. Um, that just seemed a little bit kind of heavy handed. Oh, yeah. It just didn't work. So I don't know. I'm curious, but um, I have some reservations. I like the look and feel of Gareth Edwards films. And this trailer showed me, oh yeah, he's definitely in his zone. He's, you know, I, I saw a lot of Rogue One. In I there. liked Rogue One. I did too. I saw a lot of visuals that look very Star Wars-ish. I think he got, I mean, there's a lot of influences from Star Wars in this film. I mean, to a trash compactor scene, to <laughs> a, the, the ships that are flying through the, I mean, it just had that feel. I think he's good at creating that that world, that world that has weight and texture to it. I just, I feel it. I felt like Rogue One was the most realistic feeling Star Wars movie where it's like, I, I just felt like you were in real physical environments and real people. So I hope that's carried forward here as well. My concern is that I feel like the trailer kind of told you most of the movie. Well, there's, that's the other thing. It's, it's like there's, there's a reveal like in the trailer of like who they're finding is like, how cool would that have been to like not show us that in the trailer and like build up to that and that be part of the, the beat in the film. So yeah, I was yeah. kind of surprised at the reveal, disappointed at the reveal. So yeah. there again, <laughs> If you haven't seen, you've heard the trailer. True. Don't you, watch it. Don't watch cause it. Because you've heard it from us you know, playing yeah. it just now, but maybe skip it. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, 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 that is a possibility that the trailer might have been given away to. I don't true. know. Now I haven't seen the film. That may have all been stuff from the first 15 minutes. That's film. true. I don't know. That's true. But I, I like the look and, and feel of what I'm seeing in the film. So I'm excited. I'm interested. I always love a good original sci-fi film if they can pull off a good concept. And uh, sure, this has the makings of it could be a good one or it could be very derivative. And we've seen it tons of times. Who knows? Okay. Well, like I said, there's not a lot of news going on and like big projects being announced. These are two that have been around for a little while, but they are approaching their release dates in the next few months. So we thought we'd tease a little bit of those. Um, So I guess we're done with news. So let's move on to our final section, Chris. This is our recommendation period of the show. Chris and I both bring a recommendation to the show, something we either recently caught up with that maybe was overlooked. Maybe it's a new release. Maybe it's an old classic that we just wanted to kind of bring back to your attention. Whatever it may be, we're here to recommend films for your viewing enjoyment. So Chris, what have you got for us today to share as a recommendation? 
So I'm going to recommend a 2022 film, Duel, that was by director Riley Stearns. I saw this last year virtually at Sundance, watched from the safety of my own home. But um, the film stars Karen Gillian, and she is from the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. She plays Nebula, so you may recognize her from that or Doctor Who. But in this film, she plays a terminally ill woman who opts for a cloning procedure to ease her loss on her friends and family. But when she makes a miraculous recovery, she attempts to have her clone decommissioned and it doesn't go go so well. It fails, actually. And so (laughs) she has to battle her clone to the death. Hmm. Hence the whole um, the title is spelled D-U-A-L, dual, but it's also Mm. a reference to dual, D-U-E-L, as far as like you're going to have to fight somebody. So um, just you know, a lot with going on in the news about AI and all the different, you know, debates about what that's going to lead to this film, you know, thinks a lot about cloning and about like all this kind of stuff just opens up some very interesting possibilities. I thought it was interesting, well shot, well acted. So, um, well directed. So that is dual, uh, by director Riley Stearns. It stars Karen Gillian, like I said, and also uh, Aaron Paul, who I haven't seen do a lot of work outside of Breaking mm, Bad, so yeah, he's yeah. also in this. Sure. So uh, it's worth a watch. It is uh, now streaming on Hulu. Okay, great. I This has been on my watch list for a really long time. Never got around to it. Uh, been really curious to see it. Um, what was the film he uh, Riley Stearns did before that? Was it so Art of Self Defense? Right, but he did he did another one in between those. Didn't he do a Faults? Yeah, I think Faults was first. And oh, was then it? Art of Self Defense and oh. then and then this. Because it kinda the first one, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I think was right. in that one. And then the second one had Jesse Eisenberg. So it's kinda like he's been climbing up as far as like movie star wise of who he's gotten to work with. Yeah. And then with this one he had Karen Gillian and Aaron Paul. So I think release wise that's how it went. Um You know what? I've been wrong on everything else I've said <laughs> uh, today on the show, so I'm sure you're probably right. Um, I'm going to, just because I'm curious. Sure. Well, um, I'll say too that. No, you're right. You're right. Um, of course you're right. I think this film. Of course, Fault was first. You know how, well, let me, let me say, I think this film got kind of, well, like a lot of films that came out after 2020 and before now, I feel like it kind of got screwed over because it was released at Sundance and it had a very brief theatrical release that I don't think anybody knew about maybe like a week or so. And then it like went to VOD and then it kind of disappeared and you couldn't see Mm. anywhere. And then Hulu now has it. So you can stream it if you have Hulu. But like, I wish, like, I feel like Riley Stearns is a really cool director who writes a really original material. All three Mm. of his films, I think he all, he wrote them all. So he develops his own stuff. I hope that his next film gets a theatrical release and like people can actually really, you know, see it. Because I think if this had been released, like let's say this came out this year I think it could actually stand a chance of being pretty big for him. So go check it out on Hulu. You know, it's worth a watch. All right. No, it's been on my watch list for a really long time. So I've been curious to see it and glad to hear that you, uh, you, you enjoyed it. That's good. So my recommendation, Chris, I always have the most boring recommendations, but it is what I have to work with in my life right now. (laughs) Okay. Um, My son and I recommend citizen Kane. Yeah. (laughs) Citizen Kane. In case you never heard of this movie. It's my recommendation. Okay. No, I, uh, mine almost is obvious a one. Uh, so I think I've mentioned before, I've got a younger son who is now getting into filmmaking. He wants to study filmmaking. So part of his education in that area is he and I watch a lot of movies that are kind of 
once I've seen most of them, but gotcha. once he's not seen and we get to kind of watch them and, and talk about them. And he's gotten into the films of Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson recently, um, wanting to see those. So it's been a good chance for me to go back. He is still probably my current favorite filmmaker, like current active director. Gotcha. Even though, you know, Licorice Pizza, his last film was a little, eh, it was a little lukewarm for me. I liked it, but I, I didn't, it's not definitely one of, not one of his better films. And Inherent, Inherent, Inherent Vice. Vice is my least favorite of his films. Gotcha. But everything else <laughs> okay. has been great. So outside of those two films, I think it's all been great. Um, but, you know, one film of his, that probably his highest regarded film is the one that I had lesser feelings about. And that was There Will Be Blood. I remember seeing this the first time I saw it. I was probably a little too excited mm. when it came out. I saw it. I remember walking away somewhat let down and not feeling like I really appreciated the film very much. And I had not seen it since its release in 2007. Gotcha. That was the only time. So the, the, the suggestion came up to watch this film. I said, well, good. I probably need to give this film a second chance because it didn't rate very high with me the first time I saw it. Now, I've loved every other film. The, the, the Master loved it. Phantom, Phantom Thread. Thread loved it. Yeah. Uh, Boogie Nights is one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. Magnolia, we'll talk about it another time, but I've had another viewing of Magnolia recently. That was an interesting viewing as well. But There Will Be Blood. I'm glad I went back to see it. Just so you know, the letterbox star rating on, on these films. When I saw it back in 2007, and in recollection, I rated it three out of five stars. I remember you not being high on it. Yeah. Like, well, look, I admire the film. I mean, it's a great performance by Daniel Day-Lewis, but as a whole, I just, the film just didn't work for me. Did you and your son have milkshakes while you were watching the film? <laughs> oh, we were going to. Yeah, it would have been funny. Nice. Um, after this rewatch here in 2023, it's now a four and a half out of five star rating. Okay. Uh, I don't know what was wrong with me back in 2007. <laughs> Expectations, man. I know, but I don't know if it's I was killer. in a bad mood. I don't know if there's other things going on in my life that have impacted my ability to enjoy a film. But my gosh, this film is so good. <laughs> it's so good. So yeah, I'm, I'm back on board with it. For anybody not familiar with the film, this is Daniel Day-Lewis playing Daniel Plainview, uh, moves to oil-rich California, becomes an oil prospector. He has his son, H.W., who kind of accompanies him to all of his business meetings. So it helps him to give off a little bit of this idea that he's a family man and a good guy. But really, he's basically scamming people out of their land and taking it over to drill oil on their land. Um, when a local preacher, Eli Sunday, played by Paul Dano, suspects that maybe Daniel Plainview's motives are not pure, it starts a very slow-burning feud between the two of them. And uh, I remember I was a little down on Mr. Paul Dano in the first viewing as well. I've come around on him. <laughs> okay. He was really good in this movie too. Daniel Day-Lewis is better than I remember him in this film. No, this is a good American classic film. Um, it's great. The fact that there are scenes and passages in this movie I think are amazing. That I don't even remember from my 2007 viewing. At times I felt like I was watching a whole new film. I was like, wow. that was pretty, it was a good, it was a good viewing experience. Okay. So my recommendation is if you are like me and did not give this film much second thought after it came out back in 2007, I mean, look, this was a best picture nominate, nom nominated film It's still considered, I think probably Paul Thomas Anderson's quote, best film for people who like to rank them in ways. Um, it's a, it's a really good one. Did, it's a very good did film. Daniel Day-Lewis win for it? Oh boy! Because you here, see, you work. could guess. Here's I have a recollection that he 
talked about Heath Ledger. Did Heath Ledger win for the Joker? Well, if he did win, he would have won supporting actor. Heath Ledger was not up for best. Okay. So I think it was that year because I think when he gave his acceptance speech, he somehow talked about like the people we've lost or something. And I think he did win for there will be blood and Ledger won for Ledger won for Joker. I'm not even going to hazard a guess because I'm going to be wrong, but I've had the proof right here. Okay. He's been uh, nominated five times. Okay. Um, He won for my left, my left. I'm sorry. Nominated six times. Wow. But he won for my left foot. foot. Yeah. He won for Lincoln in 2013 oh. and he won for two, uh, there will be blood in 2008. Okay. So, so he did win. Okay. So he did win. And I don't know if that's when he spoke about Heath Ledger or Must maybe. Be. Okay. Cause I think that's the same year. Dark, Dark Knight, Knight was okay. out in 2007. Yeah. Uh, he was nominated for best actor in Phantom Thread, of course. Gangs of New York and in the name of the father. Those wow. are the three he did not win. Six time nominee, three time winner. So hmm. not bad. And, Supposedly he's done. Yeah, so right. He is. Done. Unlike Tarantino, he has really said that he is done. And so. of all the actors that say that they're done, or people, <laughs> I believe Daniel Day Lewis. I really, really do. So, yeah. uh, I think it'll be a shock if he came back and does another film now. Agreed. So, anyway, all right. Well, look. Then enjoy the films that he did put out to the best of your ability. Two thousand sevens. There will be blood. I am saying, look. I know it's a highly acclaimed film. I know it won Oscars. But I, it was overlooked by me, unfortunately. <laughs> and now I'm here to reclaim its, its greatness for everyone. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Bless me. Uh, so there we go. That's our show. That's us wrapped up. We are going to wrap up today's show with our reviews having been completed of The Little Mermaid, The Machine, our discussions about the trailers for No Hard Feelings and The Creator, both coming out later this year, and then our recommendations. Chris with Duel, that is D-U-A-L. Correct. And me with There Will Be Blood, exactly as it's pronounced. <laughs> um, Chris, if anybody wants to talk to us about the selections we made or the things we talked about in this show, how can they do that? As well as I think maybe you want to plug something that we've got coming up later this year. <laughs> sure. You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, where we try to log what we're seeing, leave reviews. Please do give us a star rating, write a review, or share with your friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast. It'll help us reach new listeners. We would always appreciate that. And as Alan hinted, yes, the 2023 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival is coming up September 15th through the 24th. I will be doing that here in Hickory, North Carolina, in Western North Carolina, so um, make plans to attend if you can. We'd love to see you. Yeah, we've. Uh, I I'm. I have not been watching <laughs> as many of the selections and submissions to our film festival. We're in the midst of that right now. We have a screening committee watching those films. Uh, but I can go ahead and tell you, there's some uh, some good ones in the mix that we'll yes, be happy to bring. So I think it's going to be a really great festival in September. Lots of activities, a lot of other events going on. A lot of information coming out about that in uh, mid-July. So kind of stay tuned as we really kind of roll out everything we're doing in our September festival in July. But go ahead and block off the week and weekend. Just know that you're going to be here no matter what we're doing. It's going to be a fun time. So, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show then. Thanks so much for watching, everybody, or listening, I guess I should say. And we will be back next time with another episode of Foot Candle Films. Uh, Until then, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Watch film.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.